Well, guys, we're so glad you're here today. We're glad all of you watching online have joined us, and um, we're really thankful for roof over our heads. It keeps the rain off. And so we're in the middle of a series called Win the Day. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 4. Uh, if you have a Version Bible app, uh, if you go to the more and then the events and then put on our zip code 68850, you'll see our notes there. You can follow along there. It has all the notes and the verses. Uh, but this is based on a book by a guy named Mark Batterson. He's a pastor at Assemblies of God Church. And um, some of you have bought the book. Some of you are reading it along with us as we go through this. The chapters we're going to cover today, uh, he calls it flying the kite. I call it tipping points. It's a little different. Uh, we're going to go a little direction there. But the reason some of you said, you know, this almost seems like a, a motivational book or a self-help book. You know, it's, it's how to win each day, how to accomplish God's plans for our lives each day, habits that we do each day. And guys, one of the reasons we're doing this now, one of the reasons we're doing this chapter is because we've been through a year of upheaval, right? I don't know about you, but this, these aren't new plagues and viruses that have been going around the world for ages and ages and ages, right? But this one made us feel really out of control, didn't it? Like it really showed us that we're really not in control as much as we think we are. This little microscopic virus pretty much stopped the world. And... Um, we were talking as a family the other day, and we, you know, we kind of enjoyed the time home, right? A lot of us, you know, when the shutdown happened, it was kind of fun being home. If you had kids in the house or if you had just your spouse, for some, it was a lot of relaxation. I remember um, just going for drives, going exploring, you know, because you had nothing else to do, right? We went for long walks. We got lost a few times, I think, almost out in the boonies, but it was fun. But, you know, for others who were home by themselves, it was a little bit harder. There was a lot of isolation, a lot of loneliness. And we're seeing a lot of mental health needs right now because of the loneliness and the isolation. We're seeing kids that are struggling. Um, there are still places in our country that haven't opened up at all. They're still not back in school. They're doing everything from home. There are churches that haven't been able to open up. Here in Nebraska, we're pretty blessed because we're, you know, we went to the movies last night. We're almost back to normal. It felt really good to eat movie theater popcorn again in a movie theater. That was cool, right? Um, so we're starting to get some kind of normalcy back. But guys, there are a lot of people today who are living in fear, and it's because of the unknown. We haven't really had to deal with a lot of stuff. You know, we get vaccinated for everything now, and a lot of that has caused us to be a very risk-averse population. We don't like to take risk anymore. We don't like to do things that we don't know because we know so much. You know, I was explaining to our kids, like, we showed them a video of uh, some kids from today trying to turn on a computer with Windows 95 on it, you know, on the desktop. It was hilarious. Like, what is this noise? What is this? How do I turn this thing on? And then I had to connect to the internet, and, you know, beep, beep, like, is it going to blow up? What is this? They don't know a time where we haven't had Google that tells us pretty much everything. And some of your phones just came on when I said Google, didn't it? Um, it's listening or Siri, or all these things. We didn't have that back in the day. You had to get an encyclopedia off a shelf in the dust, you know, and all that. Yeah, you had to go to the library and sit down and, poof, you know. And so in a time where we have answers to just about everything, this is really throwing us for a loop because we didn't have answers. We didn't have anywhere to turn but Jesus. And so this time has made our faith a lot stronger, but it's also made some of us live in fear a lot more because we just don't know. So today we're going to talk about taking risks. We've talked about how we have to get, forget the past if we want to win every day. We have to forget the past and the things that are there. We have to learn to embrace hardship and learn from it. We've had to learn how to make habits that help us every day. We talked about eating the frog and some of you are like, what? Uh, we talked about how to, to do habits and do things 
the hard things first, right? We've learned that. So today we're going to talk about taking risks. Now, here's a great story that I found that Mark Batterson shares. In 1853, America hosted its first World's Fair in New York City. We're going to show a picture here. Um, they built an exhibition hall called the Crystal Palace to showcase all these new inventions that were happening in the 1850s. And a man named Elisha Otis, some of you might know Otis Elevators, you've probably ridden in one. Um, he sold the show by pulling off this incredible stunt. He started, he created a safety break for elevators. Now, at the time in New York City, there were hardly any buildings over five stories tall. Why? Because nobody liked to take stairs. <laughs> nobody wanted to go more than five stories in the stairs, and people were terrified of elevators falling down the shaft. Some of us are still that way, right? And so Otis made a safety break for elevators. So to showcase this, he stood up on this big platform. This is an artist rendering because they didn't take pictures back then. But he stood up and he had a rope up there and he had a guy with an axe. And he stood above everyone and he said, cut the rope. And they cut the rope with an axe and the elevator started to plummet. Everybody went, <gasps> and then it stopped because the safety brake worked, right? He said, all is safe, ladies and gentlemen, all is safe. It did what it's supposed to do. Um, so when he did this, there were only a few buildings taller than five stories. By 1908, there were 538 buildings in New York City classified as skyscrapers. Why? Because of elevators. And they say every three days, the population of the world rides in a notice elevator nowadays. Right? This guy took a risk publicly, and it caused a tipping point. It caused the world to change. Now, we don't all make decisions every day that are going to change the world like an elevator, right? And many of us are thankful for elevators. If you've ever stayed in a hotel with no elevator, you think, what in the world, right? Um, but I'm going to tell you a, kind of an embarrassing story. On Run for the Wall, we had this motorcycle ride that crosses the country from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C. Um, I was riding in the back with the chaplains, and I had a backpack and medical pack on my bike. And a lady came up beside me and said, hey, your backpack's falling off. And I said, oh, thank you. So I pulled over. We were in the mountains in Arizona. I pulled off on the side. It looked flat. I put my side stand down. I got off my bike and started adjusting it, and my bike started to tip. I went, no, 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 no. And I tried to grab it, and I couldn't stop it, and it tipped over. Now, thankfully, I have crash bars, so it didn't hurt it. It just scratched a little bit, but it was really embarrassing. So my bike is laying downhill like this in the gravel. And so I got underneath it, and I picked it up, and I would get just to the tipping point, and my feet would slide in the gravel, and I would slide down. So I would get it just up, and, and it weighs about 800 pounds. It's a heavy bike, and it would slide down. So I had to call the guy that runs the trailer, and he laughed for about five minutes. He laughed, and then he said, I'll have somebody come help you. Well, another guy came over. He saw me on the side of the road. So he was on a bigger bike, so he pulled over in the same spot, put his side stand down. The bike started tipping with him on it, and he went, no, 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 and he fell over with his bike. So then I laughed, and then we got up, and he actually broke a piece on his bike, and then I felt bad. But then another lady came over, and we said, don't put your side stand down. And she was smart. She went up. She was a Marine. She went up higher and then put her side stand down. So we got our bikes back up, and we got them. But I learned a lot about tipping points. Now, tipping point is, you know, when that gravity starts to take over, right, one way or the other, good or bad. But also in our lives, there are moments where we face fear and faith. And we see most of the time when miracles happen, when God does something big, God expects us to take a step of what? Faith in the midst of fear. And then he takes over, right? We see like when they crossed the Jordan River, when the water stopped is when they took a step in. At the Red Sea, the sea split when Moses took a stick and said, hey, split, right? 
we see over and over again in our lives, God expects us to take a step of faith, and then he comes in and helps us. We call those things tipping points. And guys, so many of us are afraid of risk, and at the end of our lives, psychologists say that 84% of our regrets at the end of our lives are not mistakes we've made. They're opportunities we didn't take because we were what? Afraid. So your life, you may not come against a tipping point like this, you know, cutting an elevator cord and, and changing the world, but it might be, man, maybe I should have taken that step. Maybe I should have taken that step of faith. Maybe I should have went back to school. Maybe I should have went to college. Maybe I should have gotten a job instead of going to college. Maybe I should have started this ministry. Maybe I should have. And guys, I've met people who said, I knew when I was a teenager, God told me to do this, and I didn't. And I regretted it the rest of my life because I never really felt like I was doing what God wanted me to do in my life. So we're going to talk about that today. What do we do when we get to these points of faith or fear? We call them tipping points. How do we do this? Well, in Mark chapter 4, we see a life-changing moment for the disciples. Now, this wasn't a huge life-changing moment for Jesus because Jesus knew who he was. At this point, the disciples still weren't totally sure who Jesus was. They knew he was a great rabbi. They knew they were following him. So we see in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35, it says, As evening came, now let me set the stage real quick. They're at the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is like 400 feet below sea level. And the mountains around it are really, really high. And so when you get this big drop in elevation, you know what happens? Storms. Storms would come on the Sea of Galilee just like this, and they were huge. A couple of years ago, I should have pulled it again. A couple of years ago, we talked about this passage in Matthew, and I showed a storm on the Sea of Galilee. But there are incredibly strong storms that come up. And so, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So he took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the what? Crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves are breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. And Jesus was what? Sleeping. Naps are a good thing, right? We see it right here. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you so what? afraid. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples are absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. So this was a huge moment in life of the disciples because they were faced with fear. Legitimately so. They said waves were coming into the boat. I don't know if you've ever been in a small boat on a lake. It gets kind of freaky when the waves start coming into the boat because they're supposed to stay outside the boat, right? So they were afraid. They were nervous. So they came to a point where they had to have faith or fear. So when we get to these moments, when we have these moments where we feel like this could be a life-changing moment for me, sometimes we know it, sometimes we don't. But what do we do? What are some steps we can take? Well, the first thing, if we feel like we're about to have to make a huge decision, we need to leave the noise of the crowd. We see here that said Jesus left the crowd and some other boats followed him, but he got away. So sometimes, guys, if we need to make a decision, we need to get away from the noise for a while. We need to get away from noise. And guys, we have noise in our lives everywhere. Everywhere. We are terrified of silence today in our society. Because what happens? When it gets quiet, we get alone with our thoughts and we start thinking. And a lot of us don't like to think. 
If you read leadership books, they say if you want to change your life, you want to change your business, you want to change your, your school career, if you want to do good things in your family, sometimes you have to get alone and just think. You have to make space to think. We're a population that responds and reacts. We don't really think a lot. And if we want to hear God's voice, guys, sometimes we have to get away from the noise. That means we need to take our phones and put them somewhere else. We need to shut our computers or iPads down a little bit, turn the TV off. We have to get alone. Because I don't know about you guys, man, I get notifications all day. I get on my phone, I get them on my watch. I have to go through and trim them out. Like, nope, I don't need this, I don't need this, I don't need this. You know, ESPN, yeah, probably. But the rest of them, you know, <laughs> turn some of these off. We have to turn these things off to get away from the noise. What's a graph? It's a really cool website. It shows graphs of all this information. They said the average time an adult spends on social media in 2012 was 90 minutes, which leaped to about 126 minutes in 2016, but then it jumped to over three hours a day in 2020. The average adult spends over three hours a day on social media. That's average. There are some who are way higher, some who are way lower. Three hours a day. That's almost like 15% of the time we're awake is spent scrolling on social media. And guys, there are good things on social media. Some of you are watching this right now on social media. There are great things that happen on social media. You can find cheap stuff on social media to buy, right? (laughs) Good stuff, right? You can get information, but you can also get a lot of fake information. And you can get a lot of comparisons that don't need to happen on social media. So we need to be careful. We need to get away. And that's not counting TV, video games, texting, any of that stuff. That's just social media. So guys, sometimes we have to get away from the noise. If we are going to make a life change, we have to slow down and drown out some of that noise and just get along with Jesus. And you know what's amazing? When we get quiet, you know what God can do? He can speak. Sometimes you say, guys, I I never hear God speak. Well, sometimes because we're never quiet. We have to learn to be alone and be quiet and listen. First Kings chapter 19, I love this story. Elijah was in a really dark moment in his life. He was running from Queen Jezebel and, and God wanted to speak to him and said, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And Elijah stood there and the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out, stood at the entrance of the cave, and the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? God's voice didn't come in all the big noise. It came in a what? A gentle whisper. He wants us to listen for him. He wants us to listen to him. So, guys, sometimes if we are are facing a decision we're in a moment of indecision. We just need to get alone with God and listen. Get his word out, read, be quiet and listen. So we have to get away from that. So, and then we have to respond correctly to the moment. When Jesus was asleep, what did the disciples do? Ah! Don't you care? We're going to drown. And he got up and he took action. Now here's a question. Do you think the disciples could have rebuked the winds in Jesus' name? Possibly, right? It would have been cool to try. But they didn't. What did they do? They panicked. And guys, so many times when something comes up in life, instead of running to Jesus and saying, Lord, you got this, we run to Jesus and say, what is going on? Why me? Why now? Why this? 
And we've all done it. We've all done it. So we have to respond correctly. Mark Batterson in the book, he says, I know people who say they'll give more when they make more, but I'm not buying that. I know people who say they'll serve more when they have more time. We have to make time. I know people who think they'll be ready to step up when the big opportunity presents itself. Now listen to this. But they're not taking advantage of the little opportunities that are right here in front of them. So many times, if we can respond correctly to the small things, God can get us ready for the big things. Right? Why do we call 911 an emergency? Because there's someone on the other end of that line who's trained to respond correctly. <laughs> what would happen if you called 911? My kitchen's on fire, and the dispatcher went, ah! Like, I can do that. You need to do something else, right? We expect them to respond correctly. And how do they do that? They're trained in it. They do that stuff all day long, right? They don't, they're not shakable. We get nervous if we hear the dispatcher nervous when we go on a fire. Then we know it's bad. But, you know, we want someone who responds. And so, guys, we can train ourselves to respond correctly in faith by doing it with the little things. By getting along with God and learning how to respond in faith, not in fear. And they automatically assume Jesus didn't care. So if we can re- practice responding appropriately to the small moments, then we can respond correctly in the bigger moments. And then we have to take authority, godly authority, over the moments. Again, I think the disciples could have. Hey, Jesus is here, Storm, you need to stop. And Jesus said, you'll do even greater things than I do because of my power at work within you, Right? So we need to take authority over these things. So many times we feel so overwhelmed. We have to remember we have God with us. We have God in us. The, The word says we're temples of the Holy Spirit. We have him with us. So we can respond to these things appropriately and with him. Instead of cowering, Jesus got up and rebuked it. Now how cool would that have been to see? See Jesus get up in the stir and say, hey, you need to stop. And it Amazing. That's who we serve. We have a God who can do that in our lives, right? Situation, you can stop. Or he just takes us through the situation. So when big things come, we can respond. And guys, we live in a time now that's filled with rage. Everybody's mad about everything. You know, I feel like I'm back in the 60s. and I wasn't alive in the 60s, but I've read about it, right? Everybody was mad at everything in the 60s. They protested everything. I feel like that's kind of where we're at again. What can Christians do? We can respond appropriately. Instead of coming back with rage and more hatred, we can respond with love and with listening. Right? We can take godly authority over that. Hey, I'm not going to participate in this. But I'll tell you the truth in love. We can do that. We can respond appropriately in Christ-like authority and with love and with forgiveness. Right? And then we can take action. So when we come against something like that, we need to get away from the crowd. We need to respond correctly. And then we take action with it. So we need to take faith actions. This is what I call a faith action. What is a faith action? It's doing something in faith when I don't know what the outcome is going to be. We see this all throughout Scripture, right? God told Noah to build an ark. Some of you are thinking we might need to do that again, right? (laughs) It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. He built it in faith, right? As God told him, Abraham, put his son Isaac on the altar in faith. He said, this is the one that my offspring is supposed to come through. The promise is supposed to come through. And God told me to do this. I'll do this in faith, right? The Israelites circled Jericho for seven days in faith because God told them to. They didn't understand, right? 
Ezekiel, read this, he lay on his left side for 390 days. That's a long time. He did it in faith because God told him to. Peter got out of the boat and walked on water in step of faith. And so these things led to great outcomes. God did great things through these things. Guys, sometimes in our lives, God's going to tell you, I want you to change jobs. I don't understand that. Take a step of faith. God's going to tell you, do this. God's going to say, I want you to, to go to this school, or I want you to step out in faith and talk to this person. I want you to end this relationship because it's not good in faith. I want you to start a relationship in faith. I want you to do this. There's some things even later in history. October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther put 95 theses on the door of Castle Church. And you know what happened? We happened. (laughs) The Reformation happened. Because he said, I don't think this is right. I'm going to take a step of faith. Right? Rosa Parks said, I'm not going to get up. (laughs) She started a revolution, right? With a step of faith. Right? JFK said, hey, we're going to put a man on the moon and bring him back. And some people don't believe that really did happen, but that's a whole other story. But started a revolution, right? So all these things happened because someone took a step in faith. So we need to take actions based in faith. If God tells us to, we need to take that moment, we're at that tipping point and say, okay, I can be in fear or I can be in faith, and I'm going to take a step of faith and watch God meet me. But we have to know it's God. And then we can take actions based on passion. What do you mean by passion? You know one of the best ways to find out if something is really God? I'm terrified to do it, but I feel like I'm supposed to do it, so I'm going to do it anyway. David, little shepherd boy, walked up and saw a giant. And he said, well, I didn't necessarily hear God, but I know this is not right, so I'm going to do something about it. You know how a lot of missionaries get their start? Because they get mad about something. (laughs) I'm mad that no one is telling this entire people group about Jesus, so I'm going to do something about it. How do people get involved in things like CASA? I'm mad that this has happened to these kids, so I'm going to do something about it. Because I know this is God's heart. How do things like homes get started? I'm mad that this is not happening, and this is something I know God wants, so I'm going to do something about it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, we're not going to bow to your statue. They changed the nation. Zacchaeus climbed a sycamore tree. (laughs) I'm mad that I can't see over this crowd, so I'm going to do something about it. Right? It happened. Elisha, Elisha said, come follow me. He burned his plow. What was that? He was saying, I'm not going to be a farmer anymore. I'm going to be a prophet. I'm going to follow him. It's based in passion. Guys, this happens when I say, I'm tired of this habit controlling my life. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to take a step. I'm tired of not taking care of my finances, and I'm not, I can't give to the, to the Lord like I want to. I'm going to do something about it. Those are steps based on passion. We can do these things. When we try to decide to make a change, I don't want to have this health problem anymore, so I'm going to make a change. I don't want my marriage being like this anymore, so I'm going to make a change. I don't want this habit controlling my future, so I'm going to make a change. Guys, these are what we call tipping points. We get to a point in saying, you know what? The pain of staying the same hurts more than the pain of change, so I'm going to make a change, right? We can do that. And guys, these aren't going to be all be huge, life-altering things. But we talked last week, what, what happens? We make small changes that lead to bigger changes, that lead to life changes. So we can do these things. So, and then we have to be willing to let control. 
Lastly, we have to be willing to let go of control. We have to be committed to surrendering control of our lives to Jesus. I have to be willing to say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to give you control of my life. So we get to these big moments. We get along with God and we hear his voice and say, yeah, this is something we need to do. So then we take a step of faith or we take a step of passion and we say, I'm going to do this. And then we let go of control. One of the best examples of this is, is Paul in Acts chapter 20. God told Paul he needed to go to Jerusalem. And listen to what he says. He's telling the, the believers in Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me. Except the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city, the jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth what? Nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by my Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul had no idea what was coming, but he knew there was going to be hardship. But he said, I'm going to do this because God told me to. I'm taking a step and I'm letting go of control. And guys, some of you, God is telling you to do things. Maybe it's to get involved in some kind of a ministry. Maybe it's to change jobs. Maybe it's to move somewhere. Maybe it's to do something different. But you're in it and you're saying, you know what? I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to trust him to do the rest. I'm going to give him control. And as Americans, that's a really hard thing for us to do. <laughs> Believe me, we've been there. It's hard to let go of control. I feel like I know where I want my life to go, and God starts changing, and I say, <laughs> we have to be willing to let go of control. And we have to be completely God-dependent, not self-sufficient. This is another hard one. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul said that he came to the Corinthians not in eloquence, but in the power of the Spirit. And then we're running out of time. I'll let you read that one at home. But he said, I came to you weakness in the power of the Spirit, not on my own. If we want to do something significant with our lives, we have to be willing to be in total surrender. I love this story. Rodney Gypsy Smith was born on the outskirts of London in 1860. He had no formal education at all. But he grew up in a gypsy tent, but eventually he was invited to the White House by two different presidents. He crossed the Atlantic Ocean 45 times. They didn't have airplanes back then. That was by ship. 45 different times, preached the gospel to millions of people and was used powerfully. One day a group came and said, how did God use you the way that he used you? You didn't have any education. How'd you do this? He says, go home, lock yourself in your bedroom, take a piece of chalk and draw a circle on the floor. Then kneel in that circle and pray brokenly and fervently that God would send a revival inside that circle. What are you doing? Saying, God, I want you to use me. I give control of myself I'm taking steps of faith, and I'm depending totally on you because I can't do this on my own. That's how you do it. You say, God, I want you to use me. And we have to be willing to stand for what's important, lastly. I have to be willing to stand for what's important. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we talked about them earlier. They said, we're not going to bow to this statue. And these guys are on the fast track. They could have had partnerships in Babylon before long. When they were on the way up, they were in management positions. Oh, God put us here. But then they said, you know, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to bow to this statue the king made. And look at what they say in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, O Nebuchadnezzar, this is the king. We don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, because that's what they said would happen to anyone who didn't bow to this statue, the God we serve is able to save us. That's gutsy. I'm trusting God to do something I can't do on my own, Right? He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you 
that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you've set up. Now we know the end of the story. God protected him in the furnace and then the king gave his life to the Lord and the nation changed for a little while, right? We know that. They didn't. (laughs) All they knew was like, well, my management physician just left. Uh, This isn't good. I'm about to die. That's not good. But they're willing to trust God and do that. Pastor Kenny shared a story in youth a couple weeks ago about a man named uh, Little. Um, I can't remember his first name. He's an Olympic runner. Have uh, you ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire? You know, dun, 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 dun. that was about him. But he was an Olympic runner from Europe, and he was fast. He actually said, God made me fast. <laughs> but he wouldn't do a tryout run, a heat run, because it was on a Sunday. And he said, I'm not going to run on Sunday. That's God's day. And he missed a, an opportunity to run the Olympics in that heat. But he got gold in the other two. And then he gave up his dreams and became a missionary. But he said, I'm going to stand for this. This is crazy. You're having tryouts on Sunday. I'm not going to do it. And he gave up an opportunity for gold medal because he believed it was right. And God used him. People around the world were shocked by this man who would give this thing up because of what he believed in. So if you go look at home, it's pretty fun. Um, But he went in 1925 at the peak of his career. He chose to go to the London Missionary Society and went to serve in northern China. So, guys, we have to be willing. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come up. When we get to these moments in our lives, say, you know, I think God is doing something. You need to make a decision. Get away for a while. Spend time in God's presence alone and listen. And then get to a moment and say, you know what? I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm in this tipping point. I'm at this moment. I'm going to take a step where I believe God is leading me. And then I'm going to be totally dependent on him. So if you're physically able this morning, would you stand? If you're at home, if you want to go ahead and stand up, and we're going to take a moment and pray this morning. Father, I thank you today that you love us so much. And I thank you that you have plans for our lives. Not just plans to sit and to get to heaven, but Lord, plans to do things. Plans to make a difference in our circles of influence, whether it's at school, whether it's at home, whether it's at work. Lord, you're calling us to take steps of faith deeper into relationship with you. Take steps of faith so you can use us right where we're at. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear those opportunities when they come. And as we come to these tipping points in our faith, points where we can either step out in faith or or step back in fear, Lord, help us to step forward in faith. And I'm not saying do crazy things on our own, but Lord, to do things in you that you've called us to do. And so I just pray for everyone here in this room today, as we kind of shut ourselves in with you, would you speak to our hearts? I believe there are some here today that you're speaking to about taking steps of faith in their lives, whether it's changing jobs or changing schools or whatever it is. The Lord, you would speak to us. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you to take a moment and just shut yourself in and say, Lord, what are you speaking to me today? I'm going to take a moment of silence. I'm going to listen. What are you speaking? And I know God's been poking and prodding some of you today. If you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor X, or maybe you're at home, I don't have a relationship with Christ right now. I've never asked him to forgive my sins. I've never asked him to to make me new, or, or maybe I did, but you know, at one point, if, you, if I was really honest, I would say, I'm really far from God right now. And that's you, and you want to make that right today, I want to ask you to slip your hand up right where we're at. We're going to pray together. 
I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer with me. This is just you talking to the Lord. Those of you here, those of you at home, I'm going to ask you to pray this with me. If you pray this prayer and you really mean it, the Bible says that God makes you a brand new person. He takes all that old stuff away, all the stuff we've allowed to come between us and God, and he makes it new. So everybody pray this with me. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for your incredible love for me. Thank you that I can't earn that love but it's a free gift from you. And I admit that I've messed up. Please forgive me. Please wash all that stuff away and make me new. Help me to live for you every day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Bible says if you prayed that prayer, you're a brand new person. And I challenge you, if you prayed that, come talk to me, talk to one of us that are here on the platform, send a message in the chat. Now, I'm going to ask you today, if you're here and you say, you know what? God's talking to me. I just need to get away in silence. Or God's talking to me about a step of faith or a step of passion. Or God's talking to me about surrender. If he's talking to me about one of those things, would you just slip your hand up right where you're at? We're going to pray with you right where you're at. God's speaking to me about some of this stuff. Father, I pray for all these today who raise their hands. Lord, for all these at home who are responding. Lord, I pray you'd help us today to, to listen to what you're saying to us. Maybe we need to take a step back from the crowd and just get away with you and, and listen and respond appropriately to the moment or to take authority over some things that are going on in our lives. Maybe you're here today and we say, you know, I, just, I need to take a step of faith. I've been waiting long enough and I'm at that point. I want to take a step of faith. Or maybe we're here today and say, you know what? I just need to surrender. I'm holding on too tight. I want to let go of control and give that to you. Lord, would you help us in every one of these today? In Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing this last song, I'm going to challenge you. Just take a moment and get along with God and talk to him about these things going on in your lives.